Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Nick. And I'm Lance. Today we are going to talk about a little bit of film news slash rumor control. We're going to do our Columbus Day Spectacular, first annual Columbus Day Spectacular. Mm -hmm. And then finally we're going to review David Fincher's Gone Girl. You can reach us at uh, feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com. You can also find all of our past episodes at midwestfilmnerds.com. Uh, at MFN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, Midwest Film Nerds Podcast on Vine and Facebook, and give us a call at 248-7335-MFN, which is 248-7335-636. Lance, welcome back. Thank you. It's been close to a year, almost. Oh, yeah, just about, yeah. Exactly. Your last episode, yeah. I think, was Running Scared in yeah, December. Yeah, one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. another, another retrospective, I guess. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, I'm scared. Yep. glad to have you back. Thank you. Thanks but for having me. back for a Fincher movie, which oh, is awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, David Fincher is uh, quite quite the filmmaker. Absolutely. And uh, this film is uh, is a really good uh, entry into his uh, filmography. Yeah. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Slow um, roll, Lance. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little excited. I haven't been here in a while. <laughs> um, so real quick, uh, I wanted to say a thank you to Jonathan Colton, who has no clue that I used his music in the last uh, episode during our. Uh, uh, technical difficulties and in Willie's dad's uh, story that I edited out um, that song is called Lady Amberlin's Moo Moo I think you're not allowed to use it unless you attribute him and don't make any money off of it so there's that um, well done. on top of that we finished up the summer movie wager which went swimmingly and winners know who they are congratulations I said I was going to make up some kind of like facts or anything but I didn't do that yet so I'm going to try and see if there's anything worth going. I might do some, like, mock awards, like the person who got the most, like, all their dark horses showed up, or the person who got so many sevens that they were just one off on everything that they picked, mm -hmm. or things like that. So I'll try and see if there's anything in interesting I can do with that. But uh, I wanted to say thank you for, to everybody who participated. If you wanted to know where I would have come out, I think I would have gotten 44 points. I didn't double-check that. I would have come in at, like, number 6 or something like that. But, yeah. Thank you to everybody who participated. Hope you'll come back next year. Check out uh, our website in April, May-ish timing to get more information on that. So, rumor control. We have heard that Sony may want to reboot the Spider-Man franchise using Sinister Six. On top of that, we've heard that they might want to cancel Venom. And we've yes. also heard that they may be trying to work a deal with Marvel so that both Marvel and <clears throat> uh, Sony could use Spider-Man in their movie films. So... Some of you know kind of how we feel about Amazing Spider-Man 2, but we still wanted to talk about this a little bit. Um, I don't know. Personally, I'm kind of for it, even though I'm disappointed that we'll lose out on the cast. We talked about that a little bit beforehand, but Nick, what, what, do, you, what do you feel? Uh, I didn't know about the maybe canceling Venom. I'm all for that. <laughs> a thousand percent yes. <laughs> Sign me not up for Venom. Um... I think it's an interesting idea. I think I think Sony needs to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and say, you know, what do we want to do with Spider-Man going forward? Because they kind of painted themselves into a corner in a lot of ways with Spider the ending of Spider-Man 2. And I think a lot of people just feel a little deflated after it, maybe, and not, don't necessarily want to 
I don't know. I just I'm after the first Andrew Garfield Spider the first Amazing Spider Man, I was very excited to see where the series was gonna go. And now after Amazing Spider Man two, I'm kind of excited to see where the series is gonna go when it changes hands. <laughs> yeah. And the way it ends, the Amazing Spider-Man 2's actual ending, like the final scene, it kind of leaves it on a note, like, it's like, it almost would be like the ending of uh, the comic series ending and being handed off to a new creator to start something new. Like, the mm-hmm. way the movie ends, you kind of know everything that's going to happen from there on out. Like, yeah. you don't really need to see the next chapter, plus every damn villain in his rogues gallery kind of almost showed up in a way or another, so... <laughs> I think if they do a soft reboot, it'd be kind of be kind of neat. But I would I would definitely mourn the loss of Andrew Garfield's Spider Man. I like him a lot. I know a lot of people don't like his Peter Parker. Yeah, I'm okay with it. But I I really love his Spider Man. He plays he plays Spider Man in costume really 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 well. Totally. And I like his I like uh, Sally Field and I like their dynamic. Yeah. So I don't know. I I would love to see. His Spider-Man show up like in Avengers somewhere. That would be kind of cool if he showed up for another one. But uh, Sinister Six, you know, I I still have no damn idea what the hell that movie means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they know either. If they, and if, in regards to Venom, if they could make it Agent Venom and share him with Marvel mm-hmm. and get like kind of a cool like good hero story going on and maybe get a little bit of Thunderbolts. Now that Marvel has Punisher and uh, the Hulk characters and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. that would be kind of sweet. So I think there's potential there, but just a solo like or OG Venom movie, just one. penned by Alex Kurtzman, pen slash directed. I think. <laughs> oh man, no, no moss. <laughs> Lance, you got any feelings? Um, I don't have many feelings about it. I mean, I think most of the movie going world is kind of like after Amazing Spider-Man two, they're like okay, like yeah, which you did, you yeah. have not seen. I have not seen it, and like I've just heard things. I've heard it was too long. I've heard it was pretty much just all origin story, which, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, no more origin, please. Like, we're done <laughs> with origin. And uh, it was mostly just, I mean, yeah, just a love, like a romantic relationship story between, you know, the two two main characters. You should listen to our episode, because yeah. it's, it's probably my personal favorite episode of the <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah, just, you, really, do you really rip good. it apart? Just, we don't. I yeah. think I don't. Oh, I think, yeah. oh yeah, someone does. <laughs> okay. okay. I think I think uh, our concerns about it are pretty legitimate, though. Absolutely. It's, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. not unwarranted. Uh, I would say catch it, like see it at some point, just so you okay. can kind of be in the conversation. Sure. Sure. It'll go yeah. down as one of those ones. I think that as years pass, people will look back and go, Ey. "It's not going to yeah. age particularly well yeah. because oh, okay. it's not yeah. good how yeah. it is right now." I mean, when when they're when you're. When a lot of magazines are calling your movie the worst of the year, and like it's not the year's not even over, you know, <laughs> I think that's pretty. That's pretty bad. Telling, yeah, yeah. I um, I would be pretty interested to see. The weird thing is, like, Spider Man is like record reboot. Like they've rebooted this movie almost twice within a decade. If they do this. And it's true. That's like this is the only property that anybody's willing. Like X Men has somehow survived over fourteen years, mm-hmm. and Spider Man can't make it more than like six or eight, which is pretty insane in my opinion. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too heartbroken if uh, if Venom disappeared. Even though Venom, like I was one of those Venom, like hey, Venom's cool. He's got a symbiote. That's awesome. That's how I felt about Venom and no, that, Spider-Man. And that's legit. Venom is is not a terrible character, but yeah. he can't. I don't want. I don't think anyone wants to see a Venom movie. With uh, yeah, I think be. they're just vor- they're just forcing it down people's yeah. throat because everybody was like, "Hey, put Venom in movies," and then they cast Topher Grace. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, 
I would like to see Spider-Man in in the Marvel, the overall Marvel universe, especially now that Daredevil is going to be happening. Like those those lower the street level players in New York are going to have some prominence. I, I would I would like to see Spider-Man trolling around back there. But another thing that we can quickly talk about that just kind of popped up on Slash Film before we started recording. Supposedly, there's a rumor out there now that Avengers 3 uh, may not feature anybody other than Iron Man that we've seen so far. Because Robert Downey Jr. is signed on to be in the third one. Or he at least has... Some capacity. Yeah. So I, you know, what if what if they took Spider Man? We're like, whoop, Avengers three. Hey, we've got name Spider Man and Avengers. Come check it out. We don't have Thor or or, or Captain America anymore. <laughs> you know that that's kind of a drag. In a way, in a way, it's kind of exciting. In the way that Spider Man being rebooted is, but I always said years ago that it would be awesome if in Avengers three, like it's. I mean, it's getting heavy, like Thanos or whatever's there, and there's alien just craziness going on, and it's so so massive scale that they can't possibly contain it like mm-hmm. they did in the first one. And you've got the the original Avengers, and then like uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy show up in their ship, and they land and say, "How can we help?" And then Spider Man swings in, and then like all the street levels, like Daredevil and Punisher. And I just wanted like a stupid amount of characters, even if. These guys, you know, you get Charlie Cox in there for, like, he's in the movie for ten minutes. Yeah. Maybe just beating up, like, goons on the street and getting hostages to a safe place, that kind of thing. I just wanted to see everybody. Because those, those kind of comic events have happened always, you know, it's, my whole life. Awesome, where, like, Wolverine yeah. and shit will show up. If they could somehow broker a deal with Fox to, like, get uh, the X-Men in there, too. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> oh, man. This movie would make, it, it would be insane. It would be insane. It would be the coolest thing ever. So, yeah, I don't know what kind of form that rumor is going to take. I don't understand if that's them officially kind of, or it's finally getting out there in the ether that Avengers 3 will be mainly cast by Strange and the Guardians and Ant-Man. But even that, I think in the article, they kind of say those are building up to Thanos and something different that may not even be featured in Avengers 3. But this is all, this is all rumor that may or may not be true. It's interesting. I think I think like the idea behind it all was like maybe this is the lower level heroes, maybe this is the defenders that are going to be on Netflix rising up to the challenge of you know earning a spot on the Avengers team basically. But I don't know. There was a great uh, quote by Downey not too long ago where people were asking him about uh, Iron Man four, yep. and he said he would do it if Mel Gibson directed it. I well, that, that and there was a whole conversation, and that's and the the cool thing that he said was. How he didn't really want to come back unless unless it was going to be a really 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 good story and he mm-hmm. he hit the nail right on the head and just said it that people will get sick of the character he's like and you have to think constantly about is this that point where you think it'll be good but in reality people watch it and go you know what we're kind of tired of this guy and I think Downey's a smart enough guy and aware enough guy that he doesn't want to be Johnny Depp he doesn't want to be that guy that people are like you know I'm really sick of your face Burton. yeah because mm-hmm. you've been you've been in these movies for so many years like I need a break from you mm-hmm. and I already feel myself kind of like I keep seeing posters for the juror and I'm kind of like man I don't really give a shit about Robert Downey Jr. right now like he's the judge the judge the yeah. judge the juror is with Demi Moore yes <laughs> <laughs> they're both they're both very pretty people yes, yes. Um, the, and yeah apparently yeah, he's, he's apparently he's softened on that too apparently he basically went on Alan and was like. 
I don't know where all the Marvel chips are going to fall, but... And then she was like, so it is happening. And then he was like, probably, yeah, at some point. <laughs> so we'll, we'll probably get an Iron Man 4, but as to when... Like, Marvel's got, like, 30 release dates that are yeah. currently, we don't know what they are right now. Well, and the other big thing, too, he even said, was one of his first things he said, is he's like, I'm not 40, or he's like, I'm not 41 anymore. Or however yeah. old he was, I mean, the first one, he goes, I'm creeping up on 50. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, so he knows. It's, his, his days as Iron Man are numbered. Yeah, but the good news is that, like, except for Iron Man 3, he's only got to be on set for 20 minutes. So it That's doesn't, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's... We'll see. I don't know. That's the thing about Iron Man is that his suit can allow him to do things that his body can't. So even if he's 50, 60, 70 years old, 70-year-old Robert Downey Jr. suiting up. <laughs> nobody wants to see that. That's the thing is nobody wants to see no, that. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. That's what makes Iron Man interesting is that he's a guy in the suit out there in the yep. shit. Mm-hmm. Not just, I'm at home in my PJs. Yep. Anyway. All right. I think... You know, we're perilously close to some nerd dribble here, so... <laughs> yeah, well, we can move on to our Columbus Day Spectacular. Yes, yeah, seriously not nerdy stuff. <laughs> so this this was an idea that uh, our, our dear friend and fellow co-host Tim Long came up with. He said, Columbus Day Spectacular, we all pick our favorite movie directed by Christopher Columbus and talk about it. And then he also said to me, uh, I'm in love with this idea. <laughs> so too bad he can't be here. Yeah, it's, yeah. Sad, it's really sad that he can't be here. He did send in a few notes for me to say. I can kind of lead us off with those, of course. Um, Should call him. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Skype man. him in. Um, but uh, basically, Columbus Day is coming up. For those of you who are out of the country, Columbus Day is going to be this next Tuesday. It's October thirteenth, uh, or no? It's some. It's not. It's not the thirteenth. Whatever next Tuesday is, it's going to be October fourteenth. And uh, you can... I think that's true. Yeah. You, okay. Uh-huh. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Lance is fact-checking me on air because yeah. I don't check these things out. Yeah. But basically, Columbus Day, when Christopher Columbus came over, yeah, whatever. But we're going to take it as being Christopher Columbus Day, and we're going to watch uh, Christopher Columbus movies. And by we, I mean me, because I've never seen one of his biggest movies that we're going to talk about. But um, just real quick here from, from Tim... Uh, Tim wanted to be sure that uh, I mentioned Nine Months, starring Hugh Grant and Jeff Goldblum and uh, and uh, red-haired lady. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Yeah. Yes. He said, which I saw in theater with my mom and features Jeff Goldblum as a roller-playing, rollerblading playboy who plays who looks like this. I'll post the picture in the show notes, but this is this is the screen grab that he decided <laughs> yep. to show. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. And then I said, sounds good. I personally haven't seen it because I don't watch movies, but I'll make sure the lo- for your love of it reaches the podcast. And he said, thanks. And it's not very good, but my mom liked it. So <laughs> there you go. But uh, Christopher Columbus, director of many, many different, like a very eclectic set of movies. Nick, what is what is your what are your favorite Christopher Columbus movies? Oh, man. Chris, Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus. Yes, Chris Columbus. It uh, begins and ends with Home Alone for me. Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. That's pretty early on, so it's sad for him. <laughs> staples, staples of my childhood. Yeah. Uh, staples of like any anybody who's alive in the '90s childhood. Probably, basically. yeah. And they were that was back when you know movies still permeated pop pop culture in like a crazy way. Oh yeah, and Talk like boys. People, yeah, yeah, yeah. And boy, even yeah. just like people would slap their faces like that and shout Kevin, and you instant. No one doesn't yeah. instantly know what movie that's from. Yep. And uh, that doesn't happen that much anymore with movies. I don't think you don't kind of have those. I mean, once in a while, but um, yeah, they're just and they're great movies. They really are. The first, I, 
I have a weird soft spot for like sequels in like the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Like most sequels today are terrible, but mm-hmm. like back then they kind of had a little bit more of more purpose to them, and they usually are like admittedly weaker. But for some reason, I still kind of like them. And like Home Alone Two, <laughs> I think is hilarious because you had, you you. You did all the things a sequel should do. You did continue the story a little bit, but you also made it bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't just lost at home. He was in New York. Lost <laughs> in yeah. New York? Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. He's got the whole city. You added Tim Curry uh-huh. in a, in a, in a career-defining performance. <laughs> he is so good in that role. You, you, you had the talk boy, you uh-huh. know, which was not in the first one. You had this, this awesome gag that ran throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, Harry and Marv were back to their same old antics. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to watch the second one. But the first one is so well directed and has all these hilarious sight gags and just simple things that I was like, Chris Columbus knows how to just get out of the way of a joke mm-hmm. and keep it simple. And like he, he has a good a good job of planning little running gags like the the talk boy in two. But one of my favorite ones is in the first one, the statue in front of the house that everyone seems to hit when they pull up. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's the simplest thing. It's just a little metal like jockey statue. But everyone seems to hit it and the first thing they do is get out of their car and put it back without saying anything. It's just funny. It's just something simple. It makes you go, that's really funny. I don't know why. Yeah. But they're uh, they're really great movies and I still enjoy them today and quote them all the time with a lot of my friends and uh, and my brother especially. So, uh, yeah. All right. Good job, Chris. Sorry you... Shot your wad so early. <laughs> Lance, yeah. your your favorite Chris Columbus movie? Well, for me, it's a movie that I I watch probably every day for much of my childhood that my mom always showed us, and that's Adventures in Babysitting. His first directorial his directorial debut it actually, is. and starring um, the ever gorgeous Elizabeth Shue mm-hmm. and uh, a couple other people. Um, I don't know exactly their names, but um, they've been in other eighties movies. And, uh, yeah, it's just a great film. It's kind of like this adventure film, mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if I may. <laughs> and, um, uh, it's just about a babysitter, and her friend gets caught in this bus station, and she says, okay, I'm going to come pick you up. But she's babysitting, so she's got to take the kids with her mm-hmm. into the city, the very dangerous Chicago. And uh, she goes there, and, it, and really, as soon as their car tire, uh, you know, blows up, goes flat... Uh, it starts from there and they just go from place to place just getting more and more trouble and it's pretty cool how like it's not really like it's just a fun movie really yeah doesn't have much meaning behind it I mean like you could probably find some kind of gross in the movie that like this night of you know dangerous things that they go through kind of makes them better people Mm -hmm. but they become friends you know in the end and um uh, my favorite scene is obviously the um, babysitting blues scene (laughs) where they kind of that's the one like comic Oh, it's a, it's a very funny movie, but there's a, like this one scene where they just stop all the action and they get caught on um, on a stage with all these jazz singers because it's you know uh, blues singers, excuse me, and okay. it's because of Chicago, and they have to um, nobody gets off the stage without singing the blues, <laughs> and so they just impromptu uh, you know improvise this song called the Babysitting Blues, and it's like it just reviews everything that's happened up to that point, you know, and it's uh, very funny and. Um, Lots of cool 80s stuff in there, you know, like blue leather jackets and shit like that. So, <laughs> um, uh, but other than that, you know, it's just it's just an enjoyable movie. And, like, it's a movie that you can watch over and over again, which is what I did yeah. growing up. And, uh, and I remember it, you know, to this day. So. Yeah, that's that's the one that I haven't seen that many, 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 many people have told me that I need to watch. So that's how I will be celebrating this Columbus Day. I'm going to watch uh, Adventures in Babysitting. So... 
You guys should join along with me. It's apparently on Netflix, so uh, we'll get on that. But my, my probably my favorite Chris Columbus movie has to be Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, that's another one of those movies. I think I said it when we in the few times that we've talked about Robin Williams since uh, he passed. But there's no way for me to pass that movie up when I see it on TV. I immediately drop everything, sit down, and watch it just because it's so good. Robin Williams is fantastic. Sally Field is fantastic. All the kids are great. And um, <clears throat> it's one of those movies that kind of came at that time when even if it was just like a comedic vehicle for Robin Williams, it's got a crap load of heart to it. There's some really like like punch to the guts in that movie, especially like with what it deals with, just divorce and, and wanting to see your kids and and kind of missing out on that family dynamic because things had to end and... The fact that he kind of had the ability, Chris Columbus and Robin Williams and the cast had the ability to kind of explore that idea and be funny about it at the same time. That's just something that not a lot of people have the skill to do. So I, you know, I, that's, and not to mention Pierce Brosnan is amazing. Yeah. That's, that's, (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire is one of the movies that I absolutely will quote, like John and I will quote it back and forth sometimes. (laughs) It was run by fruiting. (laughs) So just little things like that. And it's, you know, that, that movie is fantastic. So I don't, uh, I don't know anybody that can't like sit down and enjoy Mrs. Doubtfire whenever it's on TV. So it's such a, it's a good it's a uh, a feat too on his part because it's such a wacky premise to to actually pull it off. Absolutely. You know, and having having Robin Williams helps mm-hmm. definitely, but it's um yeah some some kudos to him for making that movie work. And I feel like we should real quick touch on Chris Columbus also directed the first two entries in the Harry Potter series, mm-hmm. which, which are terrible. Well, yeah, if you're Terry Gilliam, you think you're ter- they're terrible. <laughs> so, um, he goes on record all the time saying, "Oh, I, I would have done this, and I would have like, yeah, you would have, okay, but you didn't." <laughs> a, a Terry Gilliam Harry Potter, though. Whoa, yeah, yeah. I think it would have yeah. been completely unintelligible. It would one. not have been for kids, no, that's for sure. No. Um, I you know I don't think of them necessarily like they they're what they're designed to be. I think they're for what he was coming to. Like you're gonna take this highly loved book and turn it into a movie series. I don't think he failed at it. But yeah, it was know. dangerous territory for sure. Yeah, people were counting on it. You know, and I remember seeing a, a, a news story at the beginning where somebody like held up the book and split screened it with the movie and mm-hmm. it was like pretty much the same thing and it's like that's the safest thing to do yeah you know like it's a very, it's a pretty faithful adaptation yeah. as far as adaptations go but probably to a fault I mean that's you know even like the later movies they're not that faithful to the adaptations because you can't take 700 pages and put it into two hours but true. they're still they still might be too close for it to be anything kind of entertaining in a movie time frame but in any event, he launched at least three careers off of that movie completely, which is quite a feat. Uh, we can argue about what Ron's doing, I don't know. but uh, And not to mention he attracted like all of the British talent that ever was. So, you know. Harry Potter's one of those, it's one of those things where I wonder how much credit he deserves for wrangling the people together and for a lot of the designs and all that kind of thing like because a lot of it endured throughout so i wonder how much was like producer studio input and how much was was him you know I, what I, mean? I think some of it was just kind of like we're making 
a seven or eight movie series here, and one of the most important things is continuity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with that, those decisions get made early on, and then you try to, like, I'm sure that set didn't look nearly as good, like, eight years down the road, which is two or three or four movies in, so they probably add little tweaks, and obviously you spend more times elsewhere in the later books, too, but... Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like... But I don't even know if it was that big of a machine in the beginning, you know? So True. much so that... Like, definitely by, like, number five or number six, it's like, all of this is in place. I'm just adding in, here's mm-hmm. a few more stars, and we're going to go with this. Mm-hmm. Like, that... Yeah, I can I can see what you're... And especially because number three, they get Alfonso Cuaron, and that was, mm-hmm. like... That was the most deviation that they had, and even at that point, they might have just been like, "Well, we might want to dial it back a little mm-hmm. bit," even though it was still it was good. And like three was one of my favorite ones in the beginning, mostly just because of the time travel stuff. But mm-hmm. anyway, <laughs> celebrate Chris Columbus on Tuesday with uh, with the Chris Columbus movie. There's probably a few of them up on Netflix. And, uh, Director, producer, right? All those. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we didn't even touch on anything that he uh, wrote or or produced. He's got. Goonies and Gremlins and eighties galore. So, Ooh. Goonies. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Goonies is important. Absolutely. Okay, so we're gonna move on to our full review of David Fincher's Gone Girl. Uh, Gone Girl stars Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, Carrie Coon, Kim Dickens, Patrick Fugit, and a bunch of other people. Uh, the IMDb synopsis says, With his wife's disappearance having become the focus of an intense media circus, a man sees the spotlight turned on him when it's suspected that he may not be innocent. I think this is the first David Fincher movie that we are getting to review on the podcast. I think that's true. Dragon Tattoo was his last release, and that yep. was before our podcast began. And then so- Social Network? Before that was Social Network. Yeah. So, um, we can all real quick talk about David Fincher, what he means to us, and then kind of move on to the movie. Nick, how do you feel about David Fincher? Uh, I love, love David Fincher. We, he, I would say we bring him up every couple episodes. Somehow he pops up. Totally, yeah. Inevitably, somebody talks about something or Willie complains about Alien 3. Somehow, <laughs> I was on today, actually. Somehow, watching a little bit of it. Somehow Fincher comes up uh, often. I think he's uh, I think he's brilliant, and I think that there's a lot of he gets a lot of praise from other people in the industry. They love working with him, and they think he's just a very talented professional guy. And uh, there was one bit of trivia I read on it where Ben Affleck on the set of Gone Girl he bet another crew member that yeah. he was talking about how good David Fincher is at his job and how the scary the scary and crazy thing about him is that he's just as good at your job as you are mm-hmm. in a way. And he said he bet one of the crew members, probably an AC or something, that he could he could make a tiny tweak and Fincher wouldn't notice. And I guess he did some minute change to the lens. He probably opened or shut or closed it a stop. And I guess Fincher wandered back over and looked looked to the eyepiece and just said, "What happened? Something's yeah, different." Like, like, why, why is the image darker? Why is it darker? Yeah. yeah. So he stopped down a little bit, and and yeah, it's funny. I know he's a very he's very involved in the editing process. I know mm-hmm. he edits all his own trailers, and because uh, he came up as an editor, so I think that's. That's very cool to have a director that has probably has pacing in mind because his movies always move. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I saw Zodiac was 
probably started it at like 12.30 at night because I was like, eh, it's kind of late. I'll watch the first half because I knew it was like this three-hour juggernaut. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't stop watching it yep. because it's so good, but also because it just it moves. It's, mm-hmm. got, it's got pace. And that movie spans decades. Yeah. yeah. It's a great movie. But I, uh, yeah, I'm always pretty impressed with, with Fincher. I love The Curious Case of, case of Benjamin Button. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm always in the minority. People always kind of go, oh, Curious Benjamin. Yeah, that was that one did not receive a ton of love. I think it's great. It has I think it's aged well, if I may say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it has. I yeah, love I, the screenplay. I just think that yeah. that's one of his most important movies. I think that has some of the most to say about about life in the world than a lot of his other movies. Like Girl with Dragon Tattoo is good. It's just filthy. Like it's just dirty and, and weird. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the fault of the the source material. Yeah, sure. But it's, of... he did a good job. I enjoyed it enough, and uh, that's that's probably one of my lesser favorites. But the Social Network was amazing. Absolutely. Uh, Seven is is a all time great classic. Mm-hmm. Fight Club, I don't think ages that well. I know a lot of people think otherwise. <laughs> yeah. But um, <coughs> yeah. who could it be? <laughs> But I think he's a great, he's, he's a, a prodigious talent, and I'm always looking forward to see what he's doing next. I really, really am mourning the loss of his 20,000 Leagues Under the Absolutely. Sea, because that would have been something, I yeah. think. So. Lance, David Fincher. Yeah, David Fincher. I've been a longtime fan of, of the man, and uh, just the fact that he's he's just, um, he's always pushing things forward, mm-hmm. and you know, with, especially with digital filmmaking, Absolutely. and if you hear him talk about digital filmmaking, you're like... Hell yes! You know <laughs> everything that he wants to do with film, and like make it just push it into the future is just is just awesome. And all of his films, um, I'd say a really good portion of them are, are classics. With Seven, Fight Club, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I mean that won Oscars. Okay, yeah. You know you went. Maris Tomei has an Oscar. Okay, mm-hmm. just saying. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, just you know, it's just very. Uh, he's just he's meticulous. Yep. Details. You know. And I read that on Gone Girl, he did some scenes with over 50 takes, you yeah. know, which is like... They said that was his average take. It was his average, yeah. so more sometimes. Jesus. And um, it's like, you know, he wants he wants to bring out the best, you mm-hmm. know, and not only visually, but just in the, in the acting and just all, all parts of the craft, you know, and those low angle shots, you know, I love all these, you know, you always see the ceiling when, with a lot of his... Uh, you know, framing and everything like that. And the man, he's a busy man. I mean, he's going to have an HBO series pretty soon Yeah, with Jillian Flynn. He works on House of Cards, which I've seen a few episodes, mm-hmm. and they're great. And um, he's just, he's one of those guys who is a true filmmaker, yep. I would say. Yeah. All right, yeah, I, I love David Fincher. Uh, Fight Club is one of the first movies that I really ever even cared about. It's at my, it's probably at the top of my top ten for a lot of reasons that we've talked about in the past, a long, long time ago on the podcast, where I tried to convince Nick and Willie that Fight Club deserves some of its praise. But, um, no, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I enjoyed uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and... Um, uh, and there, I think there's only maybe one or two movies of his that I haven't seen. I haven't watched the game yet, but uh, still pretty good. The game is <clears throat> pretty good. Yeah, that's that's basically what everybody says. The game is hotly debated. I think a lot of yeah. people think it's it's a ten out of ten. It's a masterpiece. And other people think it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, but um, anyway, I enjoy David Fincher a lot. The but, game has one of the best Criterion covers. Oh yeah, like in yeah. recent memory. Yeah, it's awesome. I so own it, it on Criterion. I just have much. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, yeah. 
It's, right. it's, a, it's fun. I always yeah. forget about that one. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I remember Alien 3 before I remember the game. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. So, Nick, how did, how did you feel about Gone Girl? Uh, you know, Alex, when we left the theater, I was like, what did I say? I said, it's a, it's a very good movie. I didn't, and I said, I don't think it's great. And I said I wanted to walk out of the movie blown away. I wanted to walk out just like, whoa, like mm-hmm. huge impact. And um, I walked out feeling very good about what I saw. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I was along for the ride the whole time, never checking the watch, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic performances, top to bottom, you know, great direction, very, you know, very good. And then it was a couple hours later in the night and I was still up and I was still thinking about it and the next morning I was you know doing my thing washing my dishes making some coffee eating breakfast I was still thinking about the movie afternoon I'm going to work I was kind of still thinking about the movie at night so then I'm like you know what that was a really really damn good movie <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those ones that it wasn't an initial like punch me in the face right away but it was it was the slow burn that it kept me thinking you. and I was thinking more and more about certain things and what certain scenes meant, and then I would think about one character interaction, and then think about, oh yeah, what did that mean? And uh, there's a lot that you uncover. I think the more you think about the movie, and then, and I should and then say, you want to see it again. I want to be as light on spoilers as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Just oh. you're not doing yourself any favors if you know yeah. anything about this movie. Yep. Yes. And it's not like Ben Affleck's head cracks open and aliens fly out. It's not like some <laughs> crazy twist. It's just. So well told. This is actually yeah. the third Spider-Man movie in the Sony series. <laughs> ben Affleck is Venom. Uh, it's <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I just started picturing what a Ben Affleck Venom would look like, and now it's it will leave my head. Um, <laughs> it's so well told. Like this is this is fantastic storytelling. Like it's a as Lance said, he's a superb filmmaker, and it's a reminder of. When a director is doing what a director is supposed to be doing, and they have a vision, and they have an idea of how a story is going to be told, and then they execute it. And it is it is so well done. Each scene just kind of leads to the next, and there's really no wasted time, and there's no wasted interaction, and everything's very... You just, you feel... It's, it's like the difference between, like, picking up a piece of Ikea furniture... And then picking up like a like a chair, a craftsman, like a damn yeah. chair that some guy hauled out of the woods and made himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's like a there's craftsmanship to it, and you feel it. You feel the authenticity of it. You smell it. It's <laughs> there. <laughs> so it's uh, it's just it's it's a very authentic movie, and it feels very much like a David Fincher movie. And it's got it's just got some brilliance in it. There there are some moments of absolute brilliance. There's some things that I didn't like right away that I kind of warmed up to, like the the first scene between uh, Ben Affleck's character and his sister is a little too like I was like, oh man, they're just they're riffing all over the place. And they're just <laughs> Karen kinda, Sorkin. Whoa. Yes, yeah, everybody, like <laughs> yeah. literally every line that each the one had to each other was like the type of thing that someone praises their Facebook status. It's that witty that people will be like, oh man, I love that. Like they were very very. Very quick, yeah. and at first I was like, "Okay, this is obviously his sister." When he sat down, because their 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 rapport was so effortless. Mm-hmm. But then, I, as the movie went on, and I saw more of their relationship, I thought back on that scene and was like, "Okay, I totally buy it. Yeah. They just have that dynamic." Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody, I, I I really I tried really really hard to remember her name, who plays his sister, Terry Coon. 
Harry Coon. She is really good. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody in it's very good, but yeah. she was really, really, really good. Like, effortless. And she she played the role that Joan Cusack plays in every John Cusack movie. <laughs> and she was really great at it. And I was like, man, Joan Cusack, watch out. Because this girl plays the, the nagging sister perfectly. So she was fantastic. And this is the only movie I've ever liked Tyler Perry in. So, yeah. Well, yeah, there is that. It's, it's probably the second movie you've seen Tyler Perry in. I've seen a few Tyler Perry. Really? I've seen, seen him in a few things. And I've, I've never seen any of the Medea films, if that's what you're driving. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I had no idea. Let's just cut to the chase. I don't know what else he's been in other than, like, I don't know, Alex Cross. Alex Cross. I guess Trek. I didn't see that. Star Trek kind of counts because he, he had a small role and he still managed yeah. to be shitty. But. Tyler Perry is <laughs> fantastic in this movie. He's very, very, yes. very, very good. Yeah. And it's interesting that he didn't know who David Fincher was before yeah. making the movie because he directed the shit out of him. So, yep, yep. <laughs> you owe him one, Tyler. All right, Lance, how'd you feel about Gone Girl? Uh, I like this movie a lot, and um, it's just you know one thing I, I would say about this film: it is a mystery, like especially how it starts and then where it goes from there. And like I, I love films when I can't figure them out, and not just like being able to figure them out, I'm just like, I don't know where this is going. Yeah. I can't, I am you not can't ahead. predictively figure yeah. out the paths that yeah. it could take. Right. Absolutely. And how, like, yeah, I was not looking at my watch because I was feeling like, like, I just, I want to be in this kind of, this experience, this movie, where it's going, how it's going to pan out. Um, I will say Ben Affleck does a really great job, but an even better job, probably, Rosamund Pike. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how much, how she brings it, you know? Absolutely. To the, you know, how much... <clears throat> how much her character goes through yep. and um, just overall great direction great music I want to say I want to shout out to Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross <laughs> because because you know their social network score very good won an Oscar um, and there's times where you feel like it's very good and um, <laughs> we're going to have some conflict okay. this episode okay. <laughs> but then what I liked about this score was how it was in the background because if, if you're if you are in a band called Nine Inch Nails, you have ambient music, but then sometimes you crank it up. And when they cranked up the music in this movie, they cranked it up loud, and it really, really made an, had an effect on me for certain scenes, especially scenes involving violence, <clears throat> where you kind of, you know, it's just it. It was it was kind of scary, you yeah. know, like it really made my heart beat a little bit faster. There was one scene where the music is very visceral, yeah, and it, it yeah. did absolutely. Yeah enhance yeah. what you were seeing. I, yeah. I would definitely would agree there. Yeah. But for every visceral scene there were also some music scenes which had that, that little bit of that little bit of undertone, that little music in, that you can hear in the background and it just enhances everything. And I'm gonna say the first um scene and the last scene they had the same piece of music and I noticed it and I was very happy to have um you know kind of caught on to that because it really made you know gave it that much more meaning. All right. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed Gone Girl very, very, very much. Um, I was definitely... It's one of those movies where you kind of sit down and you put down the leg bar and you're in for the ride the whole time. Um, I, As we've said before, Nick said, it's I never checked my phone. Like, I, I will check my phone for the time just to like kind of be like, okay, if I, if I do that during a movie, then I know that the movie doesn't necessarily have me completely invested. And I, through the whole two hours and 25 minutes of this movie, I never even had the inkling to go down to my pocket and check it. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that I really, really love about this movie that I want to save for spoilers because I don't quite know how to put it into words. 
that won't give something away. But um, on the topic of the soundtrack, I, I, I said to Nick when we walked out, I was like, I miss the days when David Fincher movies had scores. By Howard Shore. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you know, even like the like I would listen to the Dust Brothers Fight Fight Club mm-hmm. uh, score all the time because mm-hmm. it's fantastic, and um, I just I, I understand that with this movie he was going like he told Trent Reznor he was like, you know how like apparently in like music therapy or something like that it was in the IMDb trivia I don't know if you'll remember it or not but basically he said something along the lines of I want you to make music that is telling you how to feel in a really disingenuous way in the sense of like you get a lot of fairy tale kind of scenes in this movie that the music sounds like it's a fairy tale but it's not very genuine about it and uh, I enjoy that idea but I don't necessarily feel like they really pulled it off, in my opinion. And I and I really, really wish that it didn't just sound like glorified elevator music to me. <laughs> like, there's a really, there's a very fine line between well done, like ambient music that enhances something and then like just kind of flittering out and not, and, and being a little weak. Yeah, and, it, and it, obviously it's a matter of taste because Lance did enjoy it and there were many, like, mm-hmm. Like you said, the social network score got mm-hmm. the Oscar, but mm-hmm. you know. I liked this score better than the social network. I think score. I think I can safely say that too. because the opening the opening scene uh, it did immediately grab me. I was like, this is some nice like ambient kind of mm-hmm. vibes, like synthy yeah. kind of vibe. I was like, I kind of like how this feels. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple other moments throughout the movie where little things would happen, and this, it would just start to swell in a little bit. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I kind of like that. I hate the social network score. Oh wow, yeah. I think it's dreadful. Yeah. Wow. But, um, yeah, I think it's terrible. But it's, uh, this, this, actually, like, I was like, alright, there were a couple scenes where I liked it. There were one scene in particular that we'll talk about during Spoilers, for sure, where it was very effective. But, mm-hmm. um, I did kind of like that, I don't know why I keep thinking of Heat. The movie Heat has some of those uh, moments where, like, the synth um, kind of strings kind of, not, not the ending song. Oh, yeah, the ending song. But yeah, that, that's that. movie. I don't know how about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, uh, there's, there's moments in that movie where there's kind of, like, same kind of kind of vibey like chords kind of swell in and I kind of this kind of reminded me of that um I also read I read a few really 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 good articles about this movie <laughs> and I'll, I'll bring one of them up in spoiler Terry but um I haven't read anything about it any other thoughts I should have I read one it's, thing it's really interesting to me uh, Richard Kelly's review I did Richard yeah. Kelly yeah Richard Kelly apparently came out somebody somebody posted his his review of the movie I haven't read it I'd though, love to know but, what he said um, he's an interesting guy there's this really intense debate on this movie and we'll get into this maybe more in spoiler, spoiler territory but it's the idea of whether or not this movie is misogynistic or Feministic, and it's interesting that there are many people on both sides of the argument, which is fantastic. And I do want to say that I feel like there are a lot of characters, like a lot of really, really, really strong women characters in this movie. And um, in particular, I love, I walked out of this movie loving Detective Boney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Completely. Mm-hmm. It, it, she's, she might be my favorite character in the movie, which. I don't know if you guys would agree or not, but I think everybody, all the characters are really, really, really strong and just kind of what they represent in the story and, and what they do to the characters around them is 
absolutely fascinating to watch. And um, I think I think all three of us can say that this movie is a definite go back. And like, you should see this movie. Apparently, this is David Fincher's biggest opening if you don't account for inflation. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because Panic Room was was pretty big, but not as big as this. Panic Room made technically Panic Room made forty million dollars in today's money. This movie made like thirty eight or okay. something like yeah. that. But this is numbers wise, without inflation, his biggest movie to date. I hope uh, there's a there's biggest there are, opening today. There are a few things I hope people take away from this movie eventually, but I hope the the main thing that really stands out to people is just pointing out the lunacy that follows like high profile trials or or crimes just things. media coverage of anything oh my really. yeah yeah, yeah but especially um, things where people like a, like a one or two people are involved directly yeah. and the way that an average person can who they are can be so spun and distorted and twisted and thrown through the kaleidoscope and turned into all kinds of crazy shit it's just it's it's hysterical in this movie and terrifying and fascinating and just wild. And there were so many parts in the movie where I was like laughing because I was like, oh my god, like yeah. you, you know what's going to happen. You can't not yeah. laugh at the absurdity yeah. of some of the things that happen. And yeah. and uh, I really hope that some people not just like watch the movie and be like, oh yeah, that was funny, and like not kind of apply it to like the real world. Yeah, and think about you know how similar things happen. So it's uh. It's got some things to say, for sure. Alright, I think we will take a quick break and then we will come, we will come right back for spoiler tearing. So, stick around. Alright, we're here in spoiler Terry for Gone Girl. Um, the other story that I wanted to bring up, somebody wrote this fantastic fantastic story that is basically just it is the steps in how to spot Ben Affleck's penis in this movie and <laughs> I heard about it too and I was like what? what did I miss it honestly <laughs> it's it's the it feels like it could come out of out of Tim's brain it is directly from Tim's brain Tim, if Tim saw it, this movie written by is it Tom Long of the Trek <laughs> I think is actually no no, no no apparently it's written by Kyle Buchanan on Vulture and it's titled How to See Ben Affleck's Penis in Gone Girl and it's basically just a list of steps the first of which is be a dude <laughs> that's how you'll see Ben Affleck's penis in this movie but it's just this fantastic kind of takedown of like why that's the absolute wrong reason to see the movie and it's it's really 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 well done and everybody should go and read it but I don't know why I felt the need to save that for spoilers I guess I didn't want to give away he, call, he calls it Big Ben in, <laughs> in the article so maybe I'm saving that for, for those who haven't seen it yet but please go search it it's really good I'm going to send it to, to both of you guys as soon as we're done here but awesome. um, any actual spoilery thoughts that we want to talk about um, the cat did it. You know, the cat in the beginning, <laughs> yep. totally did it. Yeah, like, that's. I was like, I was, I was watching the film, and I was like, that cat is in the house. <laughs> the cat is honestly yeah. one of my that like one of the shots of the cat is my favorite shot. In the, movie. <laughs> the shot when he's sitting there, uh, just at the step, and all the flashes are going off outside, and he's yeah. just highlighted by the light is wow. so cool to yeah. me. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. it's it's beautiful. And the cat was awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. right, right. 
But, but, uh, but no, the cat didn't do it. No. For all those who, who are listening to this right now. But uh, spoiler stuff. Um, yeah, it's just wow. The, yeah. the most fascinating part of this movie to me, I think it's all really, really good. But I love the middle section and how we begin to see that chess game go between uh, Amy and Nick. Like, we find out Amy's still alive, and it's just them kind of trying to calculate what the next move is between each other. And it's just so... That's the kind of shit that I love to watch. Like, I... I, I eat that crap up, even if it's just, like, that's the reason that I love Game of Thrones, because I just love the little place setting, like, you put the pawn here and the bishop's over there, and boom, we're gonna see where this ends up in, like, an hour or two, or ten, in the case of some Game of Thrones seasons. But I love that aspect of this movie, and like you said, Lance, there are so many times where I'm like, I think this is where it's going to go. And then it just immediately left turns and goes somewhere completely differently. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that the movie doesn't show its hands very, very uh, overtly. Mm-hmm. So yep. I think that's that's fantastic. Um, and, and the other thing that I really love about Detective Boney... I love the relationship between Boney and, and Nick Dunn as mm-hmm. the movie progresses. It's mm-hmm. very much... And she's always really logical. Like, she gets to play off of Patrick Fugit's character, who's basically just like, this dude needs to be crucified. Yeah. Like, we he's a very be... simple-minded kind of guy. He smiles a lot. Like, yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, he wants... To, you know, and even when, yeah, when um, Amy was found... And he's like, aren't you just happy your wife's back? Exactly. And he's like, you know, like, forget about everything else, man. Yep. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand, bro. <laughs> but, no, it's... I, I I love the way that Boney gets kind of juxtaposed with, with Patrick Fugit's character. And it's it's basically just her being like, you need to look at the facts. And he's just like, no, I'm, I'm eating everything that the media is telling me to eat, basically. Yeah. I love how that goes, and then it gets to the point where she needs... She's like, I need to arrest you at this point. You <clears> did it, probably. And then immediately, is it like Nick's line after that. He's like, what, are we best friends now? And she's like, well, now that I know that you didn't kill your wife, yeah, I want to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And and she gets to poke those holes in, in, in Amy's story as she's starting to tell it. And then watching, even watching Amy poke at her credibility... Mm-hmm. All of that's just ridiculous, ridiculously fascinating to me. That scene not in the book, by the way. I read differences between really? the book and the movie. So Gillian Flynn invented that for the movie. That's which awesome. was great. Yeah, to have those two characters face off. That's really, really cool. Yep, that was one of my favorite interactions in the movie. So. That was a great scene. And it's funny how she was. Was she the only woman in the room, Boney? Other than, yeah, other yeah, than, all, you know, all, all the FBI these, guys you know, were just looking back at her. All these men were looking at her like, yeah, bitch. Yeah, like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Do you know what this woman just Stupid went Stupid woman. Yeah. <laughs> she still got blood on her neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, it's a really scary movie. Absolutely. Rosamund Pike is terrifying yes. now. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can't look at her straight anymore. I was just thinking, this is this must be what, like, Glenn Close was going through after Fatal Attraction, like... <laughs> People are probably like, hey. <laughs> like, very... And the, and the implication of the movie alone is is really, really creepy. That, like, you might think you know someone, and then, like... You absolutely you, do not. You don't. Or you do, but just a, a switch flips in their brain, and they're just... Yeah, or you... Because, I mean, it, it very much played up... You know, the idea that when two people meet, and, and they have a, a spark between them, and... 
you know, they always say with relationships that, that that fades over time and eventually things kind of, you know, they slow down and you, and you get used to each other and it's a little more routine and then and the, the, the sizzle is gone. And it was interesting that Amy was kind of like almost resentful of him because the guy she was initially so attracted to was very witty and funny and was working towards winning her. You know, once they got married and, and settled down and he had to start taking care of his own life again and his mom and being back in his hometown and he stopped being the guy in New York that she knew who was off on his own and, and different and exciting and trying mm -hmm. to be different and he settled into the kind of ho-hum Midwestern, you know, all the things she said about about how he's just, you know, the, the affable Midwest fun-loving kind of guy. Yeah. And she kind of resented that. Yeah. And it was it was interest it was very very interesting to kind of think about, you know, two two real life people, you know, when when you get involved with someone <clears throat> on that scale of commitment. And you kind of need to know going in like who they really are or mm -hmm. who they who they were and you know whether or not that might be who they are again kind of thing. Obviously, this is a really heightened reality. Yeah, it's pretty extreme. Someone goes a little nuts. And yeah. Well, and the the the, we, the like as I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm, my head is swirling because I'm like, well, what do we really even know about Amy after they got or at all? Right. Like, there's so mm -hmm. much of that relationship yeah. that we only see through complete unreliable narration true, flashbacks yeah. that. Yeah. Maybe maybe he should have seen it earlier. Maybe maybe that switch didn't flip, and it was just like signs of no, it's true. or something like it's that. It's true, and maybe she would, you know. And again, the 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 face that she put on, you know, they both were. They both were, were playing when they yeah. first met, and uh, yeah, exactly the scene where where she. Um, after the movie was think after the movie was over, I was thinking back on moments when she was seemingly normal, and thinking back to the scene of. Uh, when they're talking about losing him losing his job, and yeah. they were, when they were in their tiny apartment overlooking the city, and I was like, "Wait, who told that part of the movie? Was it her? Or was it him?" It might have been a diary part, which, yeah. like, which is I, I think some of the diary parts are just they, they didn't have yeah. it. Right, yeah. well, tons of them did. Yeah. yeah, she says the one scene that did was the, the sugar factory scene. Yeah. She's like, "Yeah, uh -huh. that which was that's real. the only like confirmed yeah. scene in <laughs> yeah. that yeah. whole book." Yeah, because um, there's one part too. Like this bothered me, like because. You know, he said he'd like. There was a point where Ben Affleck's character was like, "I'm not going to lie anymore." But then um, the detective Boney, she was questioning him, and she was like, "Did you ever hit your wife?" He's like, "I never hit her." <clears throat> and then she points at the diary. She goes, "Pushed." It says "pushed." And then I remember that scene, and that's one of my favorite scenes because of the music, mm -hmm. <laughs> the music in it. But um, like, I was like, "Did that happen?" So it yeah. made me question. You know, Absolutely, yeah. there's a lot of yeah, did it or didn't it, mm -hmm. and uh, it's interesting because yeah, mm -hmm. in the end, you don't really know too much about. Either of them, based mm -hmm. all you can really judge them on is what we see them do with yep. their own eyes, and I think you can kind of glean from the movie afterwards that she's kind of psychotic, and uh, he's a pretty normal dude, yeah. subject to the things that normal shitty dudes do. I mean, he's a little kind, of, he's a little bit of a shitty dude, but he's not like a fucking psycho killer. Yeah. Um, but he, they both play them so well. Mm -hmm. Like Affleck's character, even when he's, you know, he's kind of a shitty guy. He, he, you like him. You're like, all right, I kind of like this guy. And uh, there, are, there are just lots of great supporting characters in there too. The parents were so funny. They're such <laughs> disgusting people. Yeah. yeah. Her parents. Oh my god. They yeah. both. I wanted to punch them simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I want to know is, and there's one thing that confused me when it happened, and I still haven't. Granted, in the last 24 hours, I haven't been able to think too much about the movie any further, but. Um, 
when he goes, when he gets the clue and he knows it's at his dad's house, mm-hmm. why does he intercept it? And why does he not just... Oh, you mean like um, the woodshed in the, in the wood? Something like that? <clears throat> he, well, he, like, why, he tells because... him he has no idea what it means. And then he goes to his dad's house and immediately plucks it off the table and hides it from him. I don't, I don't, I honestly, I think when he gets there... He doesn't know that it's going to be there. Like that mm-hmm. was not that was yeah. not him figuring out what the mm-hmm. what the the woodshed actually was. Mm-hmm. But I Although think later on nice. in the movie, he kind of he kind of does demonstrate to to Margot, I think, mm-hmm. because he's like she's like you told her about Mister Woodshed or whatever yeah. whatever their father used to claim he was. Yeah. Mr. Woodhouse, Woodhouse, or something, something yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. So I don't like. I think Brown when house. he gets there, he Brown doesn't house. exactly because it was a blue house there. Yeah, but, yeah. I don't. I don't think he actually figured out clue number two, and I think he gets there and was like, "Oh," and it clicks. He's like, "Okay, maybe that it makes sense now that this is where clue three is." But yeah, I don't understand why he doesn't take it to Boney and it's like, "Oh, hey, I found." Number three. Yeah, he immediately throws it in his back pocket like he. And he hit and then, it. From and then he says, yeah, But I think I, that that might be it. It might be just he has this distrust of them because they are following him. Mm-hmm. Like that might be the thing, and that's especially that's the that's probably the most precarious. Well, I don't know. It's a really precarious part of her plan because it branches. <laughs> it's pretty much this is where Nick is going to be led to the woodshed, and this is where the police are going to be led to the diary. Yeah. So that's interesting, especially seeing as how she doesn't, you know, I don't know if she rely like she doesn't think that both the police and, and, and she, yeah. she, it's like she relies on the fact that he's going to hide it from them. Yeah. yeah. But, well, that's, you know, that's much one of the things you could say about the movie. They know each other really well. Yeah. Even though they're like, sometimes they hate each other. Yeah. You know, they, they know each other really well because they've been married five years. Yeah. So. You know, comes, so he knows. She knows that he's gonna what he's gonna do. Yeah, and she, and now he's kind of catching on to what she's doing. Too, yeah, so I have to watch it again to, to really figure it out. Yeah, I remember just kind of being like, "Why? What? What are you hiding?" Mm-hmm. It's weird. Well, yeah, and you know well, one thing are, he there does. Are some things that we don't know at that point though about him, like the panties in his office. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Andy's. And so maybe there's something else about it. Plus, he even said later to his sister, he was like, I was really kind of relieved when she vanished. He was kind of like, maybe he didn't want her to be found right away. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, I can't not mention two, two scenes that I was like, wow, awesome. <laughs> um, the scene when Affleck is going to go, when uh, I got to call him by his name, which is my name. Nick. Nick Dunn. So rare that there are characters named Nick. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, gotta, I gotta run with it. Yeah, try <laughs> Listen, leader of the Elite Floor. Uh, elite Four, alright? Yeah, that's right. Billionaire. Uh, <laughs> the, the scene where he's gonna go on the on the talk show with Sailor Ward, who mm-hmm. is so fine still. Yeah. Oh, God, she looks good. Yeah. Um, was really... Everything leading up to that was very, very, very cool. And I was just totally... I loved all the like coaching and everything. Yep. The gummy bear scene was yep. hilarious, and uh, uh, everything about that was very interesting to me. Thinking about how these real people are, are are groomed and trained to behave and respond a certain way and say a certain thing was funny, and um, it was interesting to see Nick, who he comes off as kind of a kind of a doofy, pretty guy. aloof, yeah. yeah. Throughout the throughout, not, I wouldn't even say aloof. Like he 
he, he just is kind of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the only guy throughout the movie. So to see him take some initiative and be like, "I got this," and they're like, "No, you don't." He's like, "I'm gonna do what I what I think I need to do," and actually like crush it because I was expecting him to just fail. Yeah. But the anticipation of the moment, the cameras start rolling, and that look he gives everyone, he's just kind of like, <laughs> and then the <laughs> smile and everything about it, and then it, and then it cuts because I was expecting to show the conversation, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, oh, <laughs> you know it's a success. Fincher, yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna let me know yet." And I was yeah. like, "Damn, was that ever good?" And then they're like, they're in the limo, and they're like, "Oh my god, you!" And he's like, "Yeah." yeah. I was like, "Finally, I need something to go this guy's way because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was getting scary." And um, the other scene is after she comes home and he, he puts her to bed and everything and then he locks himself in the guest room. Mm-hmm. And he's and just, just sitting just there. Just sitting there with a cat in the, in the chair with a lamp on in the furthest corner of the room from the door. And I was like, my heart was racing because I was like, absolutely. Like, yeah, that's that's yeah. what I was thinking. Like, how, because I expected you wake up in the middle of the night she'd just be standing over. I'm like, hey, good morning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, the fate of that character yeah, and you it's and I is heartbreaking. You and I both said that, <clears throat> mate, like we both thought that it was going to end there with him just sitting in the chair with the cat. Man, what an ending that would have been! Yeah, yeah, right. I, I mean, I love where it ended. Yeah, I mean, wow, like he really, he definitely has a pretty substantial character arc because in the end of the movie, he's doing something immensely selfless by mm-hmm. by staying with her for the sake of this kid, which. God knows with that kid. It might not even be his kid. It it probably is. There's, likely, a, there's yeah. a chance it's Desi's, which yeah. is yeah. There's a chance. And the thing is, he said, "I want a paternity test." And when she was like, "I planted that in there so you would see it," kind of thing with the with the sperm. Maybe that was just mm-hmm. a thing she fabricated. Yeah. Now he's never going to take a paternity test because he thinks she's got him, and really, it's not even his kid. Who knows? But the fact that he's going to stay with her probably just to keep an eye on this kid and make sure this kid comes out and not Damien <laughs> is, uh, is pretty intense. I mean, that's that's really intense. And, and, and his sister's just breakdown in the kitchen was really... I was Absolutely. Like, I was like, this is, this is horrible. This is just horrible. I was yeah. like, these people... This is horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing about it. It just made me really sad. I was yeah. like, oh man, this is such a totally. sad ending. Mm-hmm. If everybody was dead, it would be a happier ending because it's <laughs> now that they'll live with this. brutal. Yeah, yeah, he's got a. I mean, this is heavy. Yeah. The rest of his life, he's going to be walking around with this woman and just putting on putting on airs and and uh, just to get through the day and then come home to this creature and oh my god, it's I can't yeah. imagine. And, you know, she's always been like that, which is what you kind of... Because Scoot McNary's little brief appearance yeah, in the film yeah, kind of confirmed forgot to talk about Scoot. Yeah, Scoot McNary was good in it. But, like, no, she has always been this psychopath and yeah. will probably continue to be this psychopath. So that's the scary part. You and know? she's way smarter than he is. So yeah. if he ever... And he, he's not a stupid guy, as he proved by, by, some, by several moments in this movie. But he... Uh, now that he knows who he's dealing with, I think... It, it, <laughs> Man, what the hell? What is going to happen? I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's such a, my head was spinning at the end. Of that. I was like, oh my mm-hmm. God. Like, mm-hmm. And that final shot, which was the first shot, and the way it totally changed. Yeah. Like, oh man. Yeah. It's genius. I read a really, really interesting, uh, <laughs> somebody's thoughts on the matter were that maybe the reuse of that scene kind of, it deposited in, the, in their mind that it might have just been Nick daydreaming about how his wife would, would Boo. And no, not, not, <laughs> not th- I mean, I, I don't think that's necessarily completely valid, but I think it's interesting to think about. Cause somebody, somebody mentioned about, um, uh, 
how they ch- they talked about. There's a scene in This Is Forty where Paul Rudd and, and, and Leslie Mann talk about how they would murder each other if they were going to do it. And they're, and they're married and they're in a committed relationship. But this is how I would murder you if I were going to murder you. And just kind of that, like depositing that idea I think is a little bit interesting. And just like maybe the movie doesn't actually exist. It's all just part of his brain of like this is what my wife would do. I would be so yeah, pissed. Yeah, you know. <laughs> some people do that on the internet because... They have the well, to talk about it. <laughs> but the thing is, like, like she, Amy is so mustache twirling, absolutely horrid of a person that it's like such a caricature. Like, it's definitely a character, but it's she's so evil that it's like well, certainly it, nobody in real life exists this way, even though there probably are people that do. Absolutely. But the thing that is, the thing is, I don't think she thinks she's crazy. She doesn't think she's wrong because her her scene uh, in the shower, yeah, when she's like, "I fought my way back for you," and she's like, "I killed for you," and she believes that. Mm-hmm. She believes that. Yeah, that is. That I is, don't. I I don't agree that she believes that. Oh, I, I agree that that's what she's going to feed and say to him. Can I can I say something? Can yeah. I say something? Go ahead. So. What I said about the music, that's the same music that's in the first scene when they're falling in love kind of thing. The music that's playing in the shower, if you listen to it again. And that, for me, when I heard that music again, that swelling, that kind of that nice pretty undertone. fairy tale. Yeah, the fairy tale thing. I was like, oh my god, they're falling in love again. (laughs) Even though she has done all these terrible things, even though he knows that he's not going to love her again. But they are, and they were like talking about how they're going to continue She's to go on. Winning him back. Yeah, like, exactly. She's like, yeah, I yeah. believe, I, I firmly believe she believes that 100 percent because there's no reason for her to say all that at that point. No. She's got him in a room with. There's no way anyone will ever know what goes on between the two of them in that room, and she can just tell him straight up, like, "You're going to stay with me, or I'll fucking kill you in the middle of the night." Like, she doesn't need to doesn't need to manipulate him anymore at that point. Like, she's got him. If he leaves her, like she says, you come off as an asshole if you do, you know. This kind of thing. See, but and my my kind of like the whole question. I think we talked a little bit about why does she come back? Mm-hmm. Like, basically, she loses her game of I'm going to get him killed by the death penalty. And essentially, in my opinion, she was going to do that by depositing the evidence of her body somewhere else in the world that makes it look like he did it. Right. Like, as the final blow, he gives that interview to Sailor Ward and, like, absolutely blows it out of the water. And then she's like, he's he can turn the tables here. He has the opportunity to do this thing. So, essentially, she she has to deal with Desi to get back into. She needs the money. She needs the resources. She needs all of that to go back and just trap him into a life that she thinks he deserves because he's been horrible to her. Quote, unquote. <laughs> Yeah. And he's been horrible. He cheated on her. That's a terrible thing to do. Right. It's not, I'm going to murder people and talk about rape accusations and impregnate myself un- non-consensually. Like, but I, but I think in her, her sense of, of the reason that she says those things in the shower to him is basically just, uh, Here's what I'm telling you in order to get us to a point where you're not going to try to murder me at the next chance that you get. That's what I felt. I don't. I think that she knows, and he knows, and the audience, or some of the audience, myself, know that he's not going to kill her ever. Like he he's would, scared her. Yeah, yeah, he would. He would. Yeah. 
he would uh, he would divorce her, or run away, or disappear before he would try to kill somebody. And he threatens. And it's pretty he's clear like, that guy's not a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm gonna leave. You know, as soon as this is over, I'm gonna leave or something like that. But then, the baby. but she traps him back in yeah. with her words. Is the thing like uh, that? I think that's why she said like she could straight out be like, I'm going to murder you. But that doesn't that allow that do any to good be... Because she fell in love with him again. Because what, what, the things that he said on the Seal Award show... I, I don't remember the characters. And then, okay, yeah. so and that's what... Okay. Yeah. So I understand. I, I think she and you, saw, you see her with her ice cream and she's just dripping at the mouth. With, <laughs> she's like... Like, it's such a good... Like, I'm sure David Fincher was like, just make sure you put the ice cream like right here. <laughs> so that it falls down. And she was... she And then, like, Desi's trying to get her attention. You know? And, and he can't. And so yeah. he's losing her. But... Nick is getting Amy back. Yeah. I think that it's it's definitely yeah, she she fell back in love with him because he turned into he he played the game back. He didn't just roll over and die and lose. He he made his chess move back and, yeah. and she she was aroused by that and like I think she I think she's twisted and crazy enough that maybe maybe she does. I, I like your read on it where you think where you your interpretation is that she's trapping him in this thing and it's that's going to be his purgatory but i kind of think that in her mind it's it's like it's a happy ending for her that she's with this guy she loves and he's just kind of like this even if he's not happy she's got him and she's going to have his kid and like it's all going to it's all going to work out and he and he was that witty guy again that she that she knows he's still in there somewhere mm-hmm. but i think uh you know, if she really wanted to get him, she still could have deposited her body somewhere. She still could have done it. And then if her body turned up, they would have been like, oh, wait a minute. And she is dead, and here it is. There was one point where she said, why should I die? She, <clears throat> she didn't want him to win, kind of thing. So maybe it, it is a power thing, too. I think it's complex, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do think she's... I, I think she's crazy enough she's devout enough in her own bizarre religion of self that she mm-hmm. she believes that they're gonna work it out mm-hmm. <laughs> and she'll yeah. she'll win them over one day and all they need is time yeah. it's uh <laughs> yeah we, we didn't even really get to talk too much about the feminism and oh, misogynistic I got some stuff for that too man because I, I did read an article well, about should, I, I do yeah. want to touch on it yeah, I think go. it's something too important well Amazing Amy is a yep. big part of the film mm-hmm. and how when we first are told about Amazing Amy her mother writes this book and Nick's like oh so you did that because like the book is based on her yeah. she's like nope I didn't do that my mom made it up like did you have a dog uh, Amazing Amy had a dog <laughs> you know and that's yeah, Amazing kind of, Amy got to have a dog yeah, yeah. exactly yeah and um, the thing I read about the whole feminism thing is like like, there are so many times in a woman's life where she's put into a role that she doesn't want to be in. And that's kind of what, I don't know, I guess marriage is, where a woman kind of has to, I don't know, stay at home, be with the kids. Sometimes it happens. That's how some people yeah, see it as marriages. That's how some people see as marriages. Yeah. And, like, I think um, the whole feminist thing is that Amy doesn't want to do that. She wants to be herself, which, unfortunately, is kind of uh, a little bit psychotic. <laughs> so, you know... But she doesn't want to be who other people want her to be. And that's what the media does to people. And that's what parents do to their children. And that's what husbands do to their wives. So Amy kind of fighting back saying, this is not going to happen to me. Like, especially when she finds that Nick is cheating on her and and she sees it. She's like, this is not how it's going to be. And she writes the diary and she Mm -hmm. fakes her death and all this stuff. So it's kind of, that's, that's the empowering thing that I think 
there's there's I mean there's so many convoluted ideas about feminism, but the thing about women being empowered, I mean you can't deny that. Yeah. And then, like, the whole misogynistic tone of it is she's the most vile being that's ever been on Earth ever because he cheated on her. And that's... So this is kind of, like... Of course, the evil woman is going to completely overfire and destroy his life because he cheated on her. And I, you know, I do think, like... Def- I think Mar- between Margot and... Uh, and Detective Boney, them alone, they are very, very strong women characters. And and Rosamund Pike's character is absolutely, like, she's OP in this movie, basically. <laughs> but uh, it's, I think it's an interesting, interesting debate. I think the idea of whether or not, like, this is, okay, this is feminism, but maybe it's not, like, quote-unquote good feminism because she's using her powers for bad or something like that. I don't know, but... So three guys, three guys in a basement probably aren't the best people to be talking. About. I, I, you know, I was, this is like Congress deciding what a woman could do with her body. Anyway, I'm sorry. The it was funny because the other day I was thinking this is an episode where we should probably have a woman's perspective. Totally, too. yeah, man. And um, yeah. <laughs> it, it would have been. We can always come back to it. I think at some point yeah. in the future because I think it's going to be. It's a movie that's probably going to be talked about for a little while. Yeah, but it. Um, <laughs> It's funny because you were talking about how, and, and not to take any any credence away from what you said, but you were like, oh yeah, he he is a bad guy. He cheated on her. That's a terrible thing to do. And you said, of course not compared to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, everything else yeah. she does. And I said, that's kind of the funny thing about the movie is that at some point you expect him to be like, holy shit, <laughs> all I did was cheat on you. <laughs> yeah, but not just that. He, she, she, he cheated on her and like did the same thing. That he did to her oh, when yeah, they fell in yeah. love, like the well, sugar. She took it really personally. She yeah, took yeah, it personally. Yeah. She Which, was like, "No." Again, this is a tricky thing to talk about because I don't want I don't want somebody to write in and be like, "Oh man, Nick's an asshole. He took his side. He took Nick's side because he's Nick." <laughs> like, no, obviously, yes, very, very wrong. Especially when you, <sighs> damn it, this movie. That's what I was gonna say. Especially when you know that they're such a cute couple and they come from such a great story. But again, we don't know anything. Yeah, exactly. We don't know. We don't know, we don't know what's true and what's real. And, and, and at that point, obviously, if your marriage is that bad and where you're driven to to cheat and all this other stuff and, and and show up at the bar at 11 a.m. and and drink with your sister, like yeah, don't get divorced. Mm-hmm. Walk away. And I'm gonna say it again, just like with that other with the, the Mark Duplat, the one I love. Just walk away. Yeah, you can do it. Because you never know what else is going to happen otherwise. And it... <laughs> I don't even know what else I can say about it. Because it's, it's, it's so hard to talk about. Because, yeah, his, his scenes... Or his, his sins seem so minute compared to hers. And it's funny that somebody could totally read it that way. Be like, oh man, they're just excusing men from cheating on their wives. Because they're saying, oh, you're careful. Your wife might turn into a psychopath and try mm-hmm. to kill you. Yeah. And or, I, I think just that... <laughs> the inequality between their wrongs is so egregious and insane that it's yeah. like I think there's arguments yeah. on both sides that yeah. are like it's almost like more uh, I don't even know the word for it but what, what, what would it be basically the movie I could see some men actually kind of being somewhat a woman who mates men can be described as a misandrist 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 well m i s a n d r i s t okay i could almost... 2 dollar word for the day okay i but i don't i don't think you can 
I don't think you can say like that's that's the really interesting thing about the feminism argument is that this book and this movie were written by a woman. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's like, yeah. what is she trying to say? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think you can. I personally, I personally, as a, as a human that in, in, inhibits part of mm-hmm. it, it lives in part of this world, I cannot walk away from this this movie and be like, this is this is somebody saying that you know. Men, the point that you were driving at—that men basically. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I don't believe it either. Okay. I'm not okay. saying that mm-hmm. that's that I I that's my take on it. I'm just saying there probably are some people out there that could be like, this movie just makes it seem like men are stupid and easily manipulated by women, especially when they're using sex as a weapon. Like uh, Neil Patrick's hair. Neil Patrick Harris's character is the most <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> yep. Twisted little sad bastard, yeah. and yeah. she just uses him like a like a damn like a fiddle like yeah yeah yeah. it's just totally he's an he's a means to an end and she does kind of the same thing with Affleck too and he's he's kind of a dunderheaded fool who who gets wooed away by just a pretty young thing and uh owns a bar and doesn't have a job and wants to play xbox this movie looks Mm -hmm. down on guys like because most if you want to look at the average male Ben Affleck isn't even the average male Mm -hmm. but like his character is kind of just the average guy who just kind of you know "Ah, I just want to wear a t-shirt and play some xbox today let me know like I'm not saying that's how I feel about the movie but I think there are probably some reviews out there that kind of say like this movie doesn't show men or women in in a very favorable light and it definitely makes it seem like um kind of I thought I thought of Game of Thrones I thought of uh What's the the old the old woman the old Tyrell lady? Oh, Marjorie. Or yes. No, uh, uh, My, you know who I'm talking about? Lady Olena. <laughs> lady Olena. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that she had a conversation that was almost the exact same thing, where she's like, "You you have sex with men to get what you want, and you you all the men think they're in control. You have to let them think they have the power. You have to let them think that they're making the decisions when really it's you, and you're using them by means of sex and and." Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, sweet nothings in their ear. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. To, I thought the parallel between the two characters was drawn for me, like not too long after seeing the movie, because they definitely he he's kind of just pushed along by by several women in this movie. Even yeah, he her mother, too. Uh, his mother-in-law, kind of does. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. He says, "I'm sick of being like put down by women or something, or being." <clears throat> Something by women. And he says it, like, to his sister, too. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm so sick of women doing this to me, or something like that. Yeah, you know? he says something along those lines of he's tired of being controlled and, and yeah. having his life decisions made by mm-hmm. how it's going to affect other women. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, because he's... There are a lot of women characters in this movie, now that we're talking about yeah. it. And, uh, and are there all the ones that directly impact... And he has help from his homies. Like, he's got Tyler Perry jumping in there and helping <laughs> him out. And, um, Scoot McNary. Scoot McNary hooks <laughs> yeah. him up a little bit with some some info, but yeah. uh, all of the major players in his life that impact which direction he tries to go with something are women. It's Cella Ward, mm-hmm. um, the mother-in-law, and then, uh, Missy, Pyle. Missy Pyle, yeah, Andy, Missy yeah. Pyle, and he was like, um, Missy Pyle, you did this to me. You said I did this. You said I did that. And she's like, I just followed the story. Yeah. So she's like totally taking herself away herself. from the blame. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he just tries to do. He just tries to be a guy in a couple scenes. Like, some lady's like, hey, can I take a picture with you? He's like, yeah, okay. And he, obviously it was stupid. Yeah. And immediately he realizes, he's like, God, that, was, like, that was a poor idea. shouldn't have done that. Yeah. yeah, and he asks her nicely, can you just leave? And he's like, fuck, he's at the mercy of, of somebody else. So, <clears throat> it's interesting. Again, these are, I'm not, I didn't walk out this movie going, man, that wasn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you have Tall to guys identify. named Nick come out looking like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I identify with. Is is, is ben, you know Nick Dunn, and yeah. and I don't know who else you can identify with if you identify with Rosamund Pike. I mean, get some help. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. The movie kind of makes you identify with him, but again, it's his only. He only ever gets out of anything in the movie by smiling and charming his way out of it, pretty much. So he doesn't he doesn't ever use like really intelligence very much. I mean, he kind of does. He kind of once he realizes what she's done, it's mm-hmm. like the whole dynamic of the movie just shifts. Yep. Like, Whoa! And I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the absolutely amazing scene when she shows up. Oh yes. Like, <gasps> yeah. <gasps> yeah. The whole neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he just goes, "Oh." He's just like, "Oh." <laughs> what does he say? What he, he says, say? "You oh, fucking, fucking bitch." Swoops <laughs> <laughs> her down like the end of a Disney yeah. movie. Yeah. Everyone flashes. For the, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh man, man. Is that funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The crowd went nuts when I, when I was Absolutely. in the movie, and yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, I think that wraps it up. We went super long on this one. Uh, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Let us know what you thought of Gone Girl. Let us know what you think of Chris Columbus's filmography. Let us know what you think about the Marvel rumors that are swirling about. Uh, MidwestFilmNerds.com has all 95-plus bonus previous episodes and uh, full time codes and show notes for every episode. Um <clears throat> At MFN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, Midwest Film Nerds Podcast on Facebook and Vine. We haven't made a Vine in years. I don't know why I brought it back this episode, but we're going to have to do one now. Absolutely. And uh, 248-7335-MFN, which is 248-7335-636. No idea what we're going to review next week. I think The Judge is the only movie coming out. So. The Juror. <laughs> the Juror, starring Demi Moore. Retro Review. Yeah, Retro Review. Um... <laughs> So we'll figure that one out. Pretty much Judge Dredd. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, Judge Dredd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll think about it. Um, thank you, at Mr. John, on Twitter for our music and artwork. And uh, guys, we're only like four weeks away from episode 100. Away. We're going to figure out something special. I don't know what we're going to do. We'll figure something out. Anyway, Kyle XY, go watch a movie.